0: about to hear my greatest sermon of the year. The greatest sermon of the decade as far as my preaching, at least so far. So happy that you're here today. May God's richest blessings be upon you. Happy New Year. If you're watching online or if you're here in person, Have a blessed, blessed year. Before I begin the message, I'm so excited to give you a report on our end-of-the-year offering. You might recall that around Thanksgiving, uh, we invited you to uh, set apart a special gift at the end of the year that would be designated for a variety of things locally. Uh, here in our church, here in our city, and around the world, including Habitat for Humanity, Mission India, church planting, just a variety of things. In addition, we were a bit behind in our giving, and so we challenge you to, to, to catch up. The next week, uh, Travis told you of some great news that a family in our congregation who chose to remain anonymous had uh, given a, a $350,000 gift end-of-the-year gift that would serve as a matching gift of 50%. In other words, you give $10, it would behave like $15. So he shared that. He also made the comment when he gave this announcement that, who knows, we might end up raising a, a million dollars. When he said that, I winced. <laughs> He's a young guy. He doesn't know. You don't just say things like that million dollars. The last time we raised a million dollars in an end-of-the-year offering uh, was when we were uh, a church of six campuses. Now we're a church of three. You'll recall that last year we released three of our campuses to Independence, and they're all doing great, by the way. But that means we have fewer people. And so I kind of went, oh, Travis, don't say that. But, you know, you got to let the young guy learn. And so I, I didn't say anything. He's the boss. Well, as it turns out, we didn't collect a million dollars. Would you like to know how much we did collect? We'll tell you next week. We collected $1,280,000. Isn't that great? Thank you, Lord. Boy, that's going to bless a lot of people in 2020. I mean a lot of people all over the world. Our church, church planting, ministries like Habitat for Humanity and Feeding the Homeless and helping the discouraged and counseling. I mean, just a variety of things in India, around in Brazil. So good for you. Thank you, Lord. And what a blessing that is. That to me is a statement of affirmation on the leadership of Travis and Greg and where we feel the church is headed. And so I, I just can't thank you enough for your generosity and thank God enough for prompting you to be so very, very generous. Way to go. Way to go. Thank you, Lord. Well, let me tell you what to expect in the next few moments. We're kicking off a new sermon series uh, that will last approximately eight weeks. Uh, It's entitled, Follow Me. I'm bringing the opening message, but Travis is bringing all the rest. So I get to set it up and then enjoy uh, what he's going to be teaching us. Midway through this sermon, we're going to pause for a worship break. I tell you that because I'm going to preach for about 10 minutes and then I'm going to say let's all stand up and sing a song and I don't want you to get excited thinking I'm already finished. (laughs) I'll just be getting warmed up. You'll understand why here in just a minute we're going to take that worship break. And then at the end of the sermon, we'll have a collective prayer. If you're in need of a special prayer or blessing to kick off your year, for whatever the reason, we'll invite you to come down here and I'll offer a prayer for all of us. Let's pray together and then we'll get to work. Blessings on you, Father. Blessings. Blessings for your kindness upon us, your faithfulness upon us. Thank you. Thank you. And now forgive your speaker today, his sins are many, and help us to see Jesus, just Jesus. Through Christ we pray, and all the church said. I wonder, by the way, if anybody's inhaling cedar, so am I. Let's all take a deep breath together. (laughs) Maybe you could picture a carpenter in a workshop as he looks over a an old chair, legs missing, another one looks, appeared, warps, warped, uh, some of the connections are loose, sure could use a, a coat of paint. And most people would see this chair and 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 pass on it. It served its purpose, toss it out. It has no more function, but not this carpenter this this carpenter sees this chair and says. <laughs> I can can do something with that. It's within his skill set. He can envision this chair returning to a place of, of function and purpose. It can once again be the place where a little child sits and studies or a family member sits and eats. Most of us would see it as something to discard, not this good carpenter. He sees it as a project to renew. Or a handyman you could envision coming across in the basement of, of someone's house, this discarded lamp, for so many evenings it sprayed welcome light into a dark living room. But then came the years and it went out of style and then came all the kids and it got bumped around and broken and and somebody just took the lamp and And threw it down in the basement, and that's where the handyman found it. Everyone else would leave it there or throw it out. He picked it up and said, hmm, I can fix that. I can restore that. And so the handyman sets about the project of repurposing this lamp to once again shed light in dark corners. The workman with the chair, the handyman with the lamp. I wonder if your imagination could now see the fishermen on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. There's two of them. And they take their net and they they cast it. As they have done every day of their adult lives. And as they're fishing, as they're pulling in their catch, here appears a carpenter. And this carpenter sees those two fishermen. And he sees them not as they are, but he sees them as, as they could be, as he desires that they be. Not just fishermen of bass and, and perch, but called for a higher purpose. And he gives him an invitation. That invitation is described in the Gospel of Matthew. As Jesus was walking by Lake Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother called Andrew. They were throwing a net into the lake because they were fishermen. Jesus said, come and follow me. I'll make you fish for people. So Simon and Andrew immediately did what, church? They threw down their net, And they became the first to do what millions upon millions have done since. They followed Jesus. They followed him. Jesus said, follow me. So they looked at their net. They looked at Christ. They chose Christ. And from that moment on, they set out to follow him. If he went that way, they went that way. If he turned this way, they turned this way. When he paused to teach, they stopped to listen. And when he gave a command, they sought to obey. They didn't always succeed, they didn't always achieve their goal, but they were trying to walk in the shadow of Christ. That's the same invitation, my friend, that Christ, the carpenter, Christ, the handyman, Christ on the Sea of Galilee, Christ issues today to you. Follow me, he says. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me and I will make you I will make you a different kind of person. I will make you the kind of person that you were made to be. Christ is all about making us different, making us better, improving us, enhancing us. He knows that life can leave us broken or abandoned. He knows that. But unlike everybody else who wants to leave us in the garbage dump or in the basement, he comes alongside and he says, oh, I can't. I specialize in people like you. I can restore you. You can once again be a useful tool. You can once again shed light. You can once again do what you were intended to do, but you have to just follow me to do that. It's a risky thing to try to summarize grand truths of the Bible into a couple of sentences, but I'm going to give it a go. I think the invitation of Christ... Really, the invitation of God to every human being anywhere in the world and all of history could be summarized this way, that God says to us, I love you. I love you just as you are, but I'm not going to leave you that way. I want you to have a heart like mine. God says, I love you. I love you just like you are. You know, right, God could not love you more than he does right now. God is love. He's not loving. He is love. And just as a rock could be no more a rock, a tree could be no more a tree, God could be no more love. He is love. We are loving. It is an attribute, a characteristic, but but it is part of God's nature. He is love. Consequently, you need never fear a day apart from God's love. And you have never lived a day apart from God's love. And God does not choose us because we are attractive or or because we're beautiful or because we're talented. He chooses us because he loves us and he chooses to love us. It's that simple. What God said to the Israelites in the Old Testament, God says to us still, Today, I skipped a verse. Can I back up? I told you this was my greatest sermon ever, but I've already messed it up. I don't want to skip this verse. This is that moment in which Jesus looked at the rich young ruler, the one who came to Jesus and asked what he needed to do to be saved. Here's that verse. Jesus looking at the man. Look, have you ever seen this? He looked at the man and he loved him. He loved him. When God looks at people, he loves people. Would you let him love you right now? Would you hear him say to you what God said to the Israelites? Now we're back on track. That passage from the Old Testament. The Lord did not care for you and choose you because there were many of you. You are the smallest nation of all. But the Lord chose you because he loved you. God chooses us. Because he loves us. I continue to contend that the greatest news is not that God made the world, but that God loves the world. And I continue to contend the reason there is so much heartache and hatred in the world is because people don't know or don't believe that they are known and loved by God. One understanding, one ounce of God's love can soften a concrete heart. And to the degree that you learn to receive and believe in the love of God, you will learn to give love to others. The first step in following Christ is to believe that Christ loves you. And the reason he loves you is not because of anything you bring, but because of who you are. You're his child. And you have been made in his image. But because of the fall, we have all been broken. And we need someone to come and renew us, to help us return to that image. And that is exactly what God is about. He loves you just the way you are, but he's not going to leave you there. He sees how you can be. He sees how you can be repaired, how you can be renewed, how you can be refreshed. And it all begins with receiving his love. Boy, Peter and John must have seen love in the face of Christ for them to drop their net and follow Christ. In Luke's gospel, when he tells this story, this invitation comes at the end of the most successful fishing expedition they had ever had. They had fished all night and caught nothing but just a few moments with Christ, and all of a sudden their boat was full of flopping silver. And so, standing on the beach, Jesus told them, Drop your nets and follow me. Boy, I would have been hesitant. I would have looked over my shoulder, that boat full of fish, and I would have said, wait, can I go sell those first? Or could I follow you during the day and you come out every night and we do this again? We can get rich, Jesus. But none of that. Jesus said, come and follow me. And in the light of the most successful moment of their career, they looked at their nets and they looked at the boat, but then they looked at Christ. Oh, they must have seen something wonderful in the face of Christ for them to be willing to drop everything and follow him. Follow me. They followed him because he loved them. So when the carpenter sets out to repair the chair or the handyman sets out to repair the lamp, does he find another chair, a broken chair and say, okay, I'm going to make this chair look like that other broken chair? Does the handyman find another discarded lamp and say, okay, I'll make this lamp look like that discarded lamp? Of course not. He knows what this chair or what this lamp was intended to look like. And with that image in mind, perhaps even with a picture hanging on the wall, he sets out to restore, to renew the lamp to its intended purpose. Oh, that we would do the same. Many of us are all about uh, being refreshed or renewed, but our mistake is we find another human being and we say, I want to be like that person. I want to be like that leader. I want to be like that parent. I want to be like that coach. And we might pick up some good points, but folks, they're broken like we are. The plan of God is to show us God. The plan of God is to show us God. And Jesus, God on earth, says, follow me. Be like me. Uh, Think like I think. Love like I love. I know who you were intended to be. You were intended to be like me. So when God remakes a person, he has a plan. If you'd like to fill in the blank, here it is. God's goal for you is simply this, to be like Jesus. That's God's goal for you. Everybody says, well, God's goal for you is to be healthy or to be successful or to get married or to this, that, and the other. Let me tell you, God's goal is that you would look like Jesus. That you would think like Jesus, that you would react like Jesus, that you would have the compassion of Christ, that you would have the wisdom of Christ. Does that appeal to you? This is nobody has a greater goal for you than God. Here's what scripture says from Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 God knew what He was doing from the very beginning. That's good to know, isn't it? He decided from the outset to shape. There's that word, shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. He's going to shape your life to look like Christ. As you follow him, you will begin behaving like Christ. You'll have the attitude of Christ, the patience of Christ, the temperament of Christ, The apostle said it another time, this time in the book of Colossians. He said, you have begun to live the new life in which you are being made new and are becoming like the one who made you. You're being made new and you're becoming like the one who made you. This new life brings you true knowledge of God. You're being made new, you're becoming like the one who made you. We are all works in progress. We all are found on the discarded, on the heap, uh, abandoned perhaps, perhaps found in a difficult season of life. But we come to Christ, we come to his workshop, and he begins this work on us. And little by little, day by day, God begins to remake us. And at the right time, when he's done enough work, He's going to call us into heaven, and in a moment, that work will be finished. When we see Christ, we will be like him completely. This is what God is up to in your life and in mine. I love this idea. It explains how life can be difficult at times. I mean, sometimes uh, to be restored, the carpenter has to pull out the sandpaper, and that hurts. He has to varnish off some old habits, and that's not pleasant. But if I understand that God is up to something good, I may not enjoy the process, but I can endure the process. And most of it, by the way, we do enjoy. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. It's not always easy. And folks, this is the big idea of the Bible. And I was so grateful when Travis said, this is going to be the big idea of our year. Follow me. I cannot think of a more exciting theme for our year than to say wherever he leads, we seek to lead. And we seek to be a church that creates opportunities for people to follow him. I'm so excited about this emphasis. Last year, 2019, was a year of transition, wonderful transition. But it took quite a bit of energy to plant three churches, turn campuses into churches. That was a year of transition. This is a year of reaffirmation. Let's reaffirm who we are as a congregation. We thank you, Lord, for Fredericksburg, for Journey, for North Central, now thriving congregations. And we're excited about what's going to happen at Alamo Ranch. Also on schedule to become an independent church, probably in 2020. And we can now afford to turn our attention back to ourselves here at Crown Ridge. And say, what are we about as a church? And under Travis's leadership, he said, let's just be about making Christ followers. Christ followers how many of you think our city could use a church of Christ followers how many of you think our society could use a church of Christ followers how many of you think your own family would do better if you were a better Christ follower Well, we need some Christ followers don't we and let me tell you the younger generation especially can embrace this opportunity Maybe the younger generation is on my mind a lot these days just because I'm getting so old. Did you know that this week I qualify for Medicare? (laughs) I made it. I made it. I don't know what that means, really. But I do know that when I talk about people, I talk younger, when I talk about younger people, I'm talking about nearly everybody. (laughs) I want to ask, I want to, I want to, I want to ask you to stand up. If you are 42 years in age or younger, okay? And I'll tell you why that number in just a second. But please, don't be bashful. We're going to be jealous of you. If you're 42 and under, I'll tell you why I chose that number here in just a second. I want to tell you something. If you're 42 years and under, we need you in this church. We need you. We need you. We need your creativity. We need your energy. We need your focus. We need your leadership. We need your teaching ability. We need your understanding of society. We need you. In the history of any church, but especially a church like ours that's been around for well over six decades, there come times in the history of that church along the way in which torches need to be passed. And you know that over a year ago, we presented Travis as the senior minister of this church. A torch was passed. And we're now calling upon you as the younger folks in the church to receive that torch as well. I said 42 because Travis is 42. (laughs) And so you're right in there with him. Now, if you're 52, 62, 72, 80, we love you too. But... Older ones among us, wouldn't you say an amen that we need the younger ones to come along? Amen. Now everybody, please be seated. I'm so thankful for Travis. With each passing week, I'm more and more convinced that he's the right person to lead this church for two to three decades. He has a heart of gold. He has a mind like a steel trap. He's got such wonderful potential and so does this church. There's so much potential in this church. So much. And all we have to do is keep our eyes on this one goal. Follow Christ. He has taken you off the junk pile and he is renewing you. He is renewing you. No one has greater dreams for you than Christ does. No one has greater dreams for you than Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said this in Ephesians 4. But you were taught to be made new in your hearts, to become a new person. That person is made to be like God, made to be truly good and holy. receive that thought you were made to be like God made to be like God no you're not God you don't deserve worship only God does but you were made to be like God in the sense that the image of God is is placed within you just waiting to come out and that will manifest itself in a in a genuine goodness and a desire for holiness think about it As you become more and more like Christ, you will look like him. Jesus felt no guilt. God wants you to feel no guilt. Jesus had no bad habits. God wants to do away with yours. Jesus had no fears. He could look at a storm and say, I can walk through that. God wants you to have no fears. Jesus understood the difference between right and wrong. God wants you to know the same. And Jesus was the greatest servant this world has ever seen. And God wants you to be a great servant. Jesus could always love the sin. I'm sorry, love the sinner, but be honest about the sin. He desires that we have the same discernment. Jesus gave his life for the lost. God wants us to do the same. And most of all, Jesus was victorious over death. And because you have been baptized into Christ, united with him in death, you'll be resurrected in a new life. God is making you like his son. Now, he loves you right where you are, but he's not going to leave you there. Yeah, I know what you're thinking. If I'm being changed, why is the change so slow? Why am I still so much like the old me? Well, several reasons. First, he's not finished. He's not finished. The Apostle Paul said, And we all, with unveiled faith, beholding the glory of the Lord, as we behold him, we are being changed into his likeness. Look at this, from one degree of glory to the other. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I know we'd rather He change us from one minute to the next. He has chosen to change us from one degree of glory to another. I can't wait to see how wonderful you look at the end of this year. You're going to be a better person in 365 days. You are. You are. He's going to change you from one degree of glory to another. It wasn't instantaneous for Peter and Andrew, and it's not for us. But like Peter and Andrew and John and the others, we just have to follow Jesus. This is Jesus' invitation to you. And that is, come and follow me. Follow me. Go where I go. Listen for my voice. Make it your aim every day just to be where I am. And if you ever find yourself in a place you don't know whether you should be there, think now would Jesus be here? And if the answer is no, then leave. Follow him. Now, there may be another reason that our growth seems slow, and that is we're sometimes hesitant to drop our nets. When you think about the net for Peter and Andrew, this was not just their occupation. This was their identity. If they had a business card, it would have said, Peter, netcaster. Or Andrew, fishermen. fisherman. I mean, their whole life had been on Lake Galilee. Their whole identity was tied up and smelling like fish. Everybody knew them as fishermen. And when Jesus said, drop your net, he was saying, drop your old identity. And let your new identity simply be follower of Christ. What do you do, Peter? I follow him. What do you do, Andrew? Well, I go where he goes. What does that mean? Well, I'm not quite sure. I'm learning. I'm a follower of Christ. This is my identity. What do you think they would have said when Jesus said, follow me, if they have said, great, I will, and I'm going to drag my net with me everywhere I go. I'm going to pull it down the trail. I'm going to take it to Jerusalem. And when you go preach up on the sermon Uh, the Sermon on the Mount, I'll have this net with me. Uh, Jesus would have said, why? Why do you drag your old self with you everywhere? You're just going to pick up weeds and rocks, and you may even grab a varmint or two. There's no need for it. Drop it. What do you need to drop as you head into this year? What do you need to leave behind What weight is slowing you down? What hindrance is keeping you back? Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, we should remove from our lives anything that would get in the way in the sin that so easily holds us back. Let us look only to Jesus. Offer this prayer in your hearts. Lord, what what do I need to let go of as I head into a new decade? What's holding me back? It might be regrets. Maybe you just are hampered by regrets. Oh, if only I, if only I, I could have done it better. I should have done it better. You know what, folks, it's time to let those go. The Apostle Paul even had to say, forgetting what lies behind, I press forward to what lies ahead. At some point, it's just right to forget what lies behind. Maybe you need to, it's time for you to put away some of those bad habits. Yeah, whatever it is. Doesn't make you feel better, you think it does. Maybe this is the year, maybe this is the time you say, I'm going to follow Christ and Christ together. Can we stop this part of my life, this bad behavior? Please, can we work on that? Maybe some anger. Maybe it's time to forgive others. Maybe by letting God love you, you can finally let go of some of the resentments that you have. Just listen to whatever the Heavenly Father says. Now remember, He loves you just as you are. You're not doing this to earn His love. You're doing this so you can follow Him. And because you are being remade in His image. Odds are I'm talking to somebody who can relate to a broken down chair or an abandoned lamp. And you have honestly wondered if you have outlived your purpose. God's message to you is, oh, no. Oh, no. If you have a pulse, you have a purpose. I've got you here for a reason. Just inhale the Holy Spirit. Receive me. Receive my blessing. And together, together, God says... We're going to have the greatest year ever. He loves you just as you are. He's just not going to leave you there. He wants you to have a heart like his. Amen.